after you got arrested, did you continue to go back to that or you like left that all the way alone and look went to a different path? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a data-driven person. I've always been smart, you right. know, when I was a kid. So I saw when I got arrested, I, I knew that it was not the pathway I wanted for myself. What's good? And welcome to the Cosign Life. If you're watching this video, that means you co-sign us and we co-sign you. So here are a couple of ways to support us at Cosign Magazine. Number one, view the description below, click the link, and purchase an issue of Cosign Magazine. It's like this. This one right here, physical. You can purchase this. Number two, you can also support us by purchasing Cosign merch. Hit the link below and it'll take you to all our past merch items and we'd love to have your support and see you wear Cosign Magazine. another episode of Cosign Conversations. We're going to call this one the Cannabis Edition. All right, so we got my guy Shay Wound with us right here in Cosign Law. We're going to be talking everything cannabis, entrepreneurial, hustle, grind, motivation, plus more. So without further ado, my guy, how's you doing? Man, I'm good, bro. Man, it's a pleasure to have you, bro. Hey, thank you. Pleasure thank to have you, man. So I for those watching, crazy story, how we connected. Yeah. Um, Y'all know I have Katie's custom jewelry. Yeah. You made an appointment to come get a grill, to come get molded, uh, two 14 karat fangs. And then when uh, you came in, I don't know what made me ask you what you do. You had a, har a harbor sweater on, right? Was that it? Or? I, I think that's what it was. Yeah. I, think I had something on. You had something on, and yeah. I, I just got curious. I'm like, man, where you from? Or what do you do? And then you told me a little bit, and then you were like, uh, you said, look you up. And I did, I started to see all the articles, and I'm like, bruh, like major, man. So for those who don't know, kind of tell us who you are and what you do, and then we'll get into like the nitty gritty parts that I'm, I'm love to talk to you about. Absolutely, so my name is Sherwin Data G. I'm the founder and CEO of Elevate Cannabis. We're multi-state dispensaries in the United States. So we have locations in Massachusetts, um, and we have locations in Oregon. We're looking to expand to um, new legalized states like Arizona, New Jersey. Um, our goal is just to continue to expand and be a beacon of hope for African-Americans. As you know, we've been pushed out of this industry and I feel like this is this is like an emerging industry. This is the alcohol industry all over mm -hmm. with a different substance. Okay. And it's our opportunity to really create generational wealth. Okay. I think I sent an interview or an article that was in your bio. It said you're the youngest African-American dispensary owner, is that correct? That, that is correct. I'm the youngest African-American man in the United States uh, to open up a retail dispensary. And uh, I'm the youngest multi-state operator in the United States. So not only, like I said, do we have operation in, in Oregon, we also have operations in Massachusetts and the East Coast. Okay, man, so we're gonna, we're gonna work our way up to today, bro. So let's, let's go back. Um, a lot of people who just getting to know you, you were originally born in, uh, was it Nigeria? Yes, that's correct. Okay, you born in Nigeria. So when did you come to the States? Came when I was five years old. Okay. Yeah, I moved to Chicago, Illinois when I was five years old. Okay. And uh, I stayed with my stepmom and my dad. I think that's where my entrepreneur mindset kind of kicked in. Okay. It just started, right? Um, I lived with my mom and dad, but the home, my home was not so whole, right? Okay. So my dad was always gone. He was never home. I stayed with my stepmom. And it was just, you know, she made me tough. You know, it was a, it was a grind. You know, she, it was, I, 
I call it tough love now. I was say tough right? Love. It was tough love. And so I had to really go out and hustle and get everything that I I wanted as a kid. I had to really go work for it. You know, I was a kid shoveling snow, raking leaves, you know, just that hustler mentality. And from that, I was a kid selling candy in school from selling candy. I started selling weed. I got arrested uh, from cannabis possession at the age of 13 at a really, really early age. And that kind of like really, I had to pause and I had to reflect on my life. And I seen a lot of people that came from where I came from and were going in the trajectory that I was going. I seen when they where they ended up and, right. and I, I I had to ask myself, was this really what I wanted for my life? You get what I'm saying? Like if you if you know, even though I had not such a wholesome home, I still had like morals and principles and values. You get what I'm saying? Right. Um, but you know, when you grow up in an environment, it brings out the worst in you. Definitely. You know, your environment definitely brings out the worst thing you in at the, in my situation, that's what it did. But um I thank God. I thank the higher power that I was able to pivot when I did and um, create something better for myself. Okay, so at 13, you get arrested for possession. That's because it was, at that time, you were illegally hustling. That's correct. So where did you go from there? After you got arrested, did you continue to go back to that or you like left that all the way alone and went to a different path? Now, I'm I'm a data-driven person. I've always been smart, you know, when I was a kid. So I saw when I got arrested, I I knew that it was not the pathway I wanted for myself. I wanted to be different from my cousins, my friends. So, you know, I I stopped doing that. I started, you know, focusing on wrestling, started joining, uh, you know, the the athletic uh, part of things, you know, just trying to look at different ways. Um, to, you know, stay more active and productive, you know, and uh, wrestling and track did that for me in middle school. You know, I crushed it in Illinois and uh, I pivoted um, my freshman year. I moved to Dallas, Texas. Man. That's where high school? Yeah, that's why I sound from <laughs> Dallas. You know, in so many ways, I feel like Dallas made me who I am. Like, you know, the person, it was it was a different environment. I moved to Arlington, so Ag Town for yeah. everybody in Ag. So yeah. all love to Ag Town, yeah. man. And uh, moving out there really, it was, it was a lot. It was different from Illinois. There was a lot of, you know, positive energy I was around. Right. So my environment changed and, 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 and I saw the Ag Town as like a new opportunity to cultivate, um, the, uh, 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 I guess, you know, be authentically myself more right. than ever. Stay away from things that I did. I learned from my past. I was like, oh, when I hung out with these people, right. this is where it got me. So I started really just, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted for my life, what direction I wanted to take. But, you know, there was nothing about me that was soft. You know, I still had that Chicago, sure. you know what I mean? <laughs> I still had that jig in me. So, <laughs> so, you know, it was, it, it, it was, it, I was not all rosy in the ass. You know, everybody yeah. know me out there, you know, know, like, you know, I, I leave with love, but, right, yeah. you know, you I know, still get out there. You you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, not for sure, bro. So, uh, so what brought you to Arlington, though? Uh, my auntie stayed out here. Okay. So my auntie definitely like she played a big role in my life. She was the first woman that really showed me unconditional love, and um, yeah, she was just amazing. You know, she she I, I didn't want to disappoint myself, and I didn't want to disappoint her, and um, it motivated me big time. Okay. So you say you're a data driven person. So at this time, like now after high school, you're researching the numbers, researching the industry, figuring out how to enter. So how did you actually come up with the idea 
it's like, you know, I'm open up dispensary and then even where you decide to open up those locations. Yeah, so me and my girl at the, my age girl, we moved to Washington State. Okay. And uh we we just, you know, I, I got a job as a um basically a, a sales associate at Sprint. Then I got promoted to a store manager. Then I got promoted to being a marketing manager for a big corporation. So I was making decent amount of money for a really young dude, you know, from the street that didn't get no college or right. nothing like that. I was making money. Right. Um, and, you know, at this time, I just saw the injustice in the corporate uh, incorporation in the sense of you had a certain cap on being an African-American on your elevation. Right. Right. You had certain cliques that, you know, it, it was it was not. <laughs> How do I say this? It was not as inclusive as you thought it would be, right? Uh, and the higher up you got, the less you saw of this. Right. So I was always the only black guy and where there was, you know, white Caucasian people on the table. And, and I'm a fast learner and I, and I ask a lot of questions. They were not all bad, but I also did not believe in some of the values and the ethos the corporation had in right. a certain aspect, right? It didn't align with me. And I also felt like there was no momentum. Like after you reach a certain level, you couldn't get any, you can't get any higher. So um, I started looking at cannabis industry unfold in Washington State and I tried to get in there first. I didn't get in. Um, it, it, it sucked. It was a lottery state. So you have some state where they have limited amount of license and you have some states where they have oversaturation of license where there is just like if you have 500,000 to 1.5 mil, you could go open up a dispensary in right. states like Oregon. So what I did was I didn't get into Washington, but I didn't give up. I knew I didn't have the capital um, that that um, it, I needed in the state of Washington. You need about a mil to 1.5 mil. I didn't have that. So I had to get really creative yeah. to be like, I want to get my foot in the door. How do I do this? Right. And still keep the capital expense. The, the expense scared the fuck out of me. Right. Excuse my language. Like, I heard <laughs> no. one mil, yeah. 1.5 mil. I was like, I'm, I'm 21 years yeah. old. I said, hey, nowhere yeah. a black man like me about to get 1.5 yeah. mil. So to start a business, but when I started, um, Washington had this uh, public data forum where they post all the dispensaries numbers, revenue they make on a monthly basis. It's called 502data.com. Check it out. It's actually, it, it, it really opens your eyes to see like what these dispensaries are making on a monthly basis. It, when I opened that thing up and I saw the money, I said, you know what? I'll die for this shit. <laughs> it's too, I said, yeah. I said, we in here. So, I said, I said, I don't care what it take. I'm about to get in here. So what, what was like those averages? Like, tell us if you remember. Yo, they were making like one mil a month. So a mil, mil a mil a month. Is, and they're making a mil a month. A mil a month. I said, oh, wow. you know what? I said, I don't care what it takes. Right. I'm about to get into this dispensary game. Yeah. And I felt like it was an opportunity to really like motivate my people. Right. Like, I just feel like, you know, when, when we looking at all the protests that takes place when a, a white cop kills a black man, like the biggest things that we keep saying, we had a black president, we have black mayors, we have black, you know, police chiefs. Right. The biggest thing, what I'm trying to say, what we're missing was capital. Right. What, what we're missing is money. 
at the end of the day, it's not that we're not smart or we're not, if we just don't have access to capital right. like they do. Right. So when we have ideas in order to like fast track our idea, we need capital to fuel it. No right. matter how you look at it, we missing money. Right. So I felt like what we were missing was money and I wanted to be a beacon of hope to show other African Americans because there was nobody really in the game that it was possible, especially people that came from where I came from. Like, you know, you ask anybody in the ad town that know me, they'd be like, yeah, bro, that dude used to you know what I mean? He was a different person. Right. I'm a totally different person. Right. You know, I changed. You know, I grew up. I've seen life. I, I failed a lot, you know. Right. And um, I got to the point, um, I, I started looking at the state laws in Oregon. So I started studying it. So the first thing you need to do is understand the law. So once I understood the laws and, and the step-by-step, it took to actually get a dispensary open. I started looking at the tangibles on what can I execute on right now. Right. So the first thing you need is to find a property that is 1,000 square footage away from the KT12 and is 1,000 square footage from another dispensary. So right? Mandatory to have real estate. Like mandatory to have real estate. Okay. So when, when you look at that, it's either you lease or buy it. But the messed up part is because cannabis is still federally illegal, you can't go and lease out a, a, a property that is federally backed by the bank. So that's like almost all the properties. Gotcha. You get what I'm saying? So it slims your options down. Right. Then you have the square footage buffer. So real estate is the number one key to really get into this cannabis game. Okay. And and um, so I, I, I tell people I became the COE. I became the chief of everything. Mm-hmm. I legitly was my attorney. I was my CPA, bookkeeper, butt tender, janitor, whatever you needed. I did it because I was so passionate about getting my dream off the ground. I did not care who believed in me, didn't believe in me. People said I was crazy. It was like, bro, you need about a mil. You sure you could do that? Can you do that? You sure? I was like, bro, I'm going to make this happen. And when I had my corporate job, I was already saving money. I ain't have a mil, but what I had was... I, I had a lot of grit. I had a lot of hustle, and I put in sweat equity. So I was like, "Yeah, I am my yeah. meal." Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm like, I am. I'm like, I'm a hustler, dog. Yeah. I'm like, I'm about to hustle here. Yeah. So I got there. I was like, "All right, cool." I built out my whole shop. I found a location. I got rejected for two years. One time, I had a property in Salem. I, Salem. I was dri- Salem, Oregon. Oregon. I, um, I got a property, the city approved it. Then they came back and said it's 998 square footage from a K212 grade. So imagine you spraying bread on a property. Then they said, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. It's too close to a K212 grade, so you can't use this property. Mm-hmm. So now you got to go back to the drawing board. Right. You have to find a new property. And I ended up in Eugene, Oregon. My first location, I tell people it was a trap house. It was the worst location you could find. It was not in the street front. <laughs> It was hitting, dog. Right. It was a struggle. I, I used to go out, pass out flyers, try to get people to know I was there, but I was hungry. Right. I was hungry and I was motivated. Like my first year, I slept in my shop for a whole year. 
I work from like a Eugene, my first job. I work from like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Right. Like I just hustle, man. Like I remember those ramen noodles, that, <laughs> man. Yeah. Like I don't eat it all. <laughs> I eat because I want, because yeah. I like it still. But yeah. you know, it, it's a decision. But yeah. back in the days, it was what I could afford. Right. So I became a chef, man. Ramen noodles <laughs> with every greens you could yeah, think yeah. of. Ramen noodles, dog. you know, hot dog. You yeah. know, it it was that. It was, the hustle was real. Yeah. So so not to be off in your business, bro, but people people like numbers, bro. So what? how much did it take to open up your first one? Yeah, my first one, I put in a lot of sweat of equity. It was an, I opened my first one when I was 23, and I only had $50,000. It was actually a Leafly article that just came out. I saw that. Yeah, so. That's what I, you say for working in your corporate? You say 50? I, say, I had, I think, 25, 35 myself just cash, and, mm. and my friends and family gave me a little bit combined, came to 50000 and um, a lot. Actually, my friends and family rejected me at first. They said no right. when I first asked them for money because, but I don't take things personal. So, like, for anybody listening to this, you can't take no personally because they work hard for their money too right. and they need proof of concept. They need to know that, you know, a lot of people talk about it, they don't, they don't really be about it. Right. So, when my friends and family said no, I didn't take it personally. I went back to the drawing board and I said, you know what, I'm going to use my own bread to get this license. Right. So when I, I use my own money, I said, all right, y'all said no before. Look, I got this piece of paper. How much is the license? The license alone, like, just to sell it, I could sell it for, like, 500000 just a piece of paper. Just because it's limited now, right? right? So as you look at supply and demand. When, when there's a limited amount of supply, right. there's a huge amount of demand, yeah. a piece of paper could just be, I could just sell it. Yeah. Be like, bro, you need to get in? I got, I'm, I'm the only, yeah. they got it, bro. What's yeah. up? Yeah. You know, so so that like, you know, but, but initially to just go through the process, the process is the hard thing. You got to deal with the state. Right. You got to deal with the city. And um, I would say, you know, just overall build out my shop and everything. I only spent 50000 on my okay. first dispensary, okay. but you can't do that no more because the rules and regulations change. Prices are going up, but I got in at the perfect time to get in. Okay. You get what I'm saying? And it gave me the knowledge, it gave me the experience that I needed to pivot to a state like Massachusetts. As you know, the East Coast is super expensive. Right, not for sure. So with that, how long were you in there hustling and grinding until the first one, which is... Let's go back. It's called Elevate Cannabis, right? What's the first one called that too? Yeah. So when you got there, how long did it take for that first one to actually turn profit? I was the only one working, so six months. You know, at first, you know, it was me grinding, so I already started making money. But the thing about me was I'm a street dude, so right. I never I never ran a business. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I remember my business plan was like one page, <laughs> make money. <laughs> like, bro, it was like, I look at, but I'm telling you, bro, I looked at, I was like, what's it going to cost for me to operate? Right. What's it cost going to make me break even? Yeah. How can I be profitable? That was that was my business plan. Right. And people, like, when I see them trying to have this, it's great. This, it works like, like, I tell people you have to have this, like, pirate mentality right. where you have, like, one iPad and you can only see through one eye because yeah. you crazy enough. You, It's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Everybody is trying to be an entrepreneur wants this perfect, like, this perfect, like, views or 
sure. this perfect business plan. They're so focused about the business plan, they never even started yeah. the business. Never started. You get what I'm saying? So for me, it was like, I look at hustle, I look at grit. Mm-hmm. I don't think everything is going to be perfect when you first start, but just getting started is right. the biggest thing. Okay, so six months you're making profit, and then tell us about your thought process to the second one. You said the East Coast uh, was a turn. So what made you go, what actually made you go to Massachusetts, and what did it take to get that one up and running? Yeah, I think Massachusetts to me was life changing. Okay. I think that's where it really made my name because you you look at Oregon, Oregon is a saturated market in, in the sense of they don't have a cap on licenses. Like I said earlier, if you have 500,000 to a mil, you can get into Oregon. Yeah. In 2019, they just did a, uh, uh, they just uh, came out with a law that froze all the licenses. So they're not giving out any new licenses. In Oregon? In Oregon. Okay. So that's why you see the evaluation of licenses going up. Why I say one license could I could sell for 500000 because now they're not giving out any, right? Okay. There's a freeze on it. But when you look at the East Coast, Massachusetts is the first state in the East Coast with recreational marijuana. Yeah. So like New York, New Jersey, nobody has it. Connecticut, none mm. of them have it. So you know what happens? Everybody from those illegal states, they come to Massachusetts and get that weed. Okay. You get what I'm saying? So outside of that, Massachusetts had limitation on licenses. So the, the state didn't have caps, but they gave the cities the options to put caps on how many licenses they're going to give out. Okay. So for example, in the cities that we're in, they're only giving out two licenses. So we have stores in three in three cities in the, in the, in the state of Massachusetts. Okay. One of our most profitable stores on the border of New York, we have one on the border of Vermont, and we have one on the border of New Hampshire. Right. And I became strategic and I did that because for example, when you go to Boston, right, lease is already super expensive in sure. the East Coast, but when you're in the cannabis industry and you're trying to lease out a building or property, people are charging you about like $100,000 a month on average just to lease out a building. To get a license is a, is a two to three year process. So I, like for example, for me, I had a property in Boston and there's two things you got to get to get a store in Massachusetts. It's called host community agreement and non-opposition. Okay. This is really important. Basically, the community got to support you. Wow. Like, they got to sign. You got to lobby the people to say, here's why I'm a good businessman to put my cannabis business here. Because there's still people that don't like cannabis. They see it as the mm-hmm. devil's plant. Right. They see it as dangerous for their kids. Right. Whether their kids smoke and they don't know or not, who cares? Right. You know, they don't, they, they've been programmed to say cannabis is bad. Right. So now you gotta change their view. You gotta educate them. We did PowerPoint presentations. You gotta get the mayor to sign off on right. you. So it's not, it's not just like, bro, that. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life. How long was that process? To get our store open in Massachusetts, it was three years. Three years. Three years. And you had to build it for three years. Yo. So this whole Imagine time. you paying on something. For I better say years. that. Not, not making no money. You just spending bread. You just spending bread. For three years. For three years. No money coming in. All expenses. All expenses. Wow. You get what I'm saying? That's why white men, why white people are winning because they got money they to got lose. The capital, and, yeah. and guess what? In Massachusetts and Boston, for example, they're only giving out 80 licenses. Boston alone has 800,000 in population, giving out 80 licenses in a whole city. So each store needs their own license. 
Each store needs their own license. You just can't open a cannabis store. You it's rigorous, bro. The application process just to just to hire like a an application writer, you pay them about a hundred to three hundred thousand. So you can have someone to write a good application to the state to put you in a fork because there's requirement and guidelines and regulations. You gotta add the laws, you gotta do this, X, Y, and Z. It's like, bro. But my suffering when I was my opening up my Oregon store, sleeping in my shop for a year, gave me insight. Right. It gave me the knowledge. So when I was able to read a law, because I already did it. Right. First one. With the first one, the law became I, I I knew how to leverage it. Because not only did I read it, I lived it. Right. <laughs> yeah, you knew the language. I knew the language. <laughs> so when I read laws, it's like, oh, okay, this is what that means. This yeah. is what this doesn't mean. Right. Because I've been I've been in operation at the time. It was like going on two years. But while my store was still open, I was looking at expanding. Right. Everybody told me, Lord Mayor, you crazy. Just focus on your store in Oregon. Yeah. But a lot of people that were saying that to me, it was like they had to work till they die mentality. It was just like, bro, I don't want to work and die. Yeah. It's just like, bro, like I don't like money doesn't even stimulate me. It's freedom. Freedom is everything. I just look, I tell people like it's freedom. I pay people really well. Right. right? Because to me, it's like having freedom and having the ability to work with people that you like, you can call family, good people. It, it, it makes the world like, it makes right. all the difference, bro. Everybody, but it, I failed a lot. Right. I'm not gonna lie. When I first became like an owner of a business and I was young, I was 23. There was things that I did not have in place. Right. Um, I was trying to do everything. And what I've learned was I needed to have enough humility to ask people to help me that were better than me, right. to help me in things that I was not good at. Right. But I felt like I needed to be good at everything. everything. Yeah. I felt like I needed to be the jack of all trades. Fuck it's black, that's how we do, bro. We, we have to like, we have to be good at everything, bro. But you need help, you need to be able to delegate because we can't do it on. We can't. So we're spending all this time on this aspect and now this part of your business is suffering because you have nobody managing it over it. So that's, that's a major thought process, bro. Yeah. That's crazy. And it's bro, you just, it's so much you just said for people to unpack. Okay, so you finally get the first one up and running. That takes two or three years. So you basically paying rent on this building, not making no money. So what, what, what I did was, as I said, I knew the, the laws yeah. and I became strategic. I learned from my Oregon store, okay. right? So what I did was when I went to Massachusetts, I started a real estate company. Okay. When I got rejected in Boston, I said, you know what? I'm gonna go to rural area, property acquisition is a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. I started going there, I started buying uh, the real estate. Okay. I just bought the real estate, created a real estate company, started buying real estate. I started leasing it out to my cannabis company. So my cannabis company is in debt to me, to my real estate company. So for the three years, they ain't pay rent, it's yeah. rent free, uh, but they gonna pay me. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? But yeah. the store needed to open, but that's what I did. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's genius. Oh yeah, it's, it's almost almost like the McDonald's. Absolutely. At, uh, you know, I didn't even know about the McDonald's yeah. until someone someone told me it was yeah. like, "Shane, you gotta watch this movie." That's the founder. Exactly yeah, the founder. Yeah, that's, Chain, like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what you're doing. I was like, "No way." Yeah, you own the real estate, bro. And then, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy, bro. That's that's. <laughs> that's why I be smiling at all my yeah. IG posts. I be like. <laughs> <laughs>
I had the police chief in yeah. my grand opening. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, like that. That's how I knew, like, bro. When I got into that realm mm-hmm. and, and start talking to politicians, having to negotiate, like, you know, you got all these people going after two licenses. Why did they pick an African American man in a Republican city? Right. Right. I, like, there's like ninety nine percent. Caucasian, I'm the only like, you know, dot of black and I'm the only one black person on the retail dispensary in that looks look little city, bro. And um I sat there and I did several presentations, bro. They would call me, it's like, we need you here in Massachusetts to do this presentation. I'll get on the next flight, I'll go out, do the presentation for the mayor. And the, the thing was I had a good attorney. Okay. Yo, one of my advice to y'all. Get a good attorney. Like, I, I said, look, bro, I spent a lot on my attorney. Like, I used, like it was like $500 an hour. I used to pay the dude, right? And, like, I paid him a lot of money, <laughs> right? But he was my best investment when I started in Mass. Because when the mayors gave me a hard time, and I called Paul up. Paul is this old white Jewish dude. Mm. He come in there. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Yeah, yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like probably like Cheryl, you got a problem? We, we good? <laughs> like he was a he they, they were the top attorneys in the city of Boston. Yeah. And Paul just like, Sean, I like your hustle. Yeah. He like, I respect you, man. Yeah. And so anytime like I'll get in trouble, like, or things didn't go well, because I'm not perfect, you know, this, this is a new realm for right. me, you know? Um, and it, it, was, it was, I had the city officials became really cool with them. Being kind to people is so powerful. Yeah. Like, I remember when the mayor didn't really like me, but his assistant loved me. I used to come there from Oregon. I had cannabis product, uh-huh. edibles. I used to give this lady edibles or whatever <laughs> she needs. She'd say, oh, Sean, you're such a blessing. Yeah. I'm like, yep, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, bro, what? Man, I, used to, what? I used to take care of this. Like, she's like, yeah, we, we got you. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and you know, it's so funny. Uh, my first approval, it was on TV locally and stuff. And like at the time when I, when you do presentations, try to get the people, the elderly people didn't like us at first. So I went to the elderly, um, like it's not, it's, let's say home. Right. It's just where they go out, play games, right. whatever it's called. But I went there and I did a whole presentation for them. And at Florida, start educating them CBD. Yeah. Man, I was there shaking their hand, kissing babies. <laughs> yeah. Like y'all don't like me. Y'all don't really like me. Right. Yo, bro, it was politics. Yeah, it's all and politics. Then when I got the one head old lady, yeah. when she liked me, everybody liked me. It's like he's a good guy. Yeah. I like him. Yeah. Hey, she, um, she co-signed you. She co-signed. So everybody, <laughs> everybody yeah. it was like you you gotta get the master like yeah. you. I started learning that there's all this one mm-hmm. person. You get that one that person. You get that one person buy-in, you can get the whole crew buy-in. But but my real question is 
who, how many approvals do you need? Because you say you're you're out here lobbying a policy. Who all do you got to agree to able to open? Man, you gotta. The people have a voice, so okay. the people can't say. Even if the city officials say, yeah, they can come and amend it and say, okay. here, this is why. So you gotta make sure that your people, your community supports you, okay. your local businesses support you, right? Because it's a new business, right? Okay. Nobody has ever done it. We're the first in to do it in that community, in the whole state of Massachusetts, we're the first African-American non-social equity to open in the whole state of 8 million in population. That's crazy. That's crazy. African-American business, there's only two African-American owned retail shop in the whole state. And this is Elevate in Massachusetts, Elevate and Pure Races in the whole state, there's only like less than 80 dispensary open. So it's a a big deal, you know? And not only did we win one, we won three. Okay. We want three. So now we're on the next phase to get the rest of our two um, built out. And up and yeah, up okay. and running. So, man, I don't, I don't want to skip over this because this is super important, bro. You said you bought the real estate and you leased it out to your cannabis company. That's right? correct. So basically, the real estate you bought, that's uh, you bought that through a loan, right? So, no, what, what I did was I initially had my own money, right? Okay. And, and I used that to buy my to real buy estate. Right? But I could not build it out. Okay. I, I didn't have enough capital to build it out. So I had to go out and raise more money. Okay. And I think a lot of African-Americans, because I was like this, I used to be ashamed to go ask for people money. for money. Yes. Like, like I, I was ashamed. I was like, man, I should just have this money. Right. But when I started hanging out with Caucasian people and like my white counterparts, they're multimillionaires. And I'm seeing they're still raising money. Still. That's like saying, oh, yeah, I'm raising more capital. Multi, I know I know CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies. Right. And they're still raising money. It's like, yeah, Sean, you know, everybody think, yeah, because we do this, we still got to raise money. We're publicly traded, right. but we got to still raise money so we can continue to grow and make sure, like, innovations, I, it, it, Exactly. So I was like, bro, I, I was like, wow. Yeah. The white people, like everybody be like, white people be taking our jocking our style, they be taking our, you know, blah blah blah. I was like, all right, okay, let's say they, they do. Right. They do, right? right? We all know that. They right. do. Why the fuck don't we take their shit to? Excuse my language. No, why don't we good. learn from them? Yeah. Like, why, do, why don't we learn what the fuck they doing to get their paper up, right. how they move, like I promise you, like, if you ever met anybody go to Adtown, James Boo, be like, you know a dude named Sean, and see what they say about him. Yeah. Be like, when he went to Bowie High School, like, what was he like? Yeah. You get what I'm saying? For sure. I had to change. You have to. I had to change. I had to pivot. You get what I'm saying? I couldn't be the old person that I was in order to get to the bag that I am. And not everybody can be rappers. Not everybody can be, uh, what's it called, actors or or, or, or athletes. Not all of us can do that, but we can all start a a, a LLC. We can all create generational wealth. And the thing is, we worship all these people without knowing some of them don't even make money. Like, we're told. Like, it's just facts. It's, it's, It's not no shade on nobody. You get what I'm saying? And the freedom is not there. You get what I'm saying? There's still restrictions. Yes, right. you have money, but there's still restrictions right. on what you can do or can't do. Exactly. That is, is, is just being real. But um, yeah, bro, I just really want to change my life, bro. So when did you start raising capital? 
Um, my first capital raise, I'm gonna say this, relationship is everything. Okay. Relationship, I um I I started raising capital in 2018. Okay. 2018 started raising capital. I closed in 2019. Uh I, I signed like like it was supposed to be a multi-million dollar deal. Uh we closed our first round of a million dollars. Okay. Um it was it but it was relationship. I remember how it even happened. I knew a city politician, his name is Tito Jackson. So shout out to him in Boston. He was getting in the cannabis industry. And I used to um I used to have like um seminars where I used to educate African Americans on how to get into the cannabis industries, the do's and don'ts, just because I wanted to to see more of our people and he was at one of the events I was at speaking okay. and he was impressed by me he was like bro like I'm impressed by you like I've never seen someone I was like yeah because some of the people that was up there speaking they did not know what they were talking right. about it was like <laughs> you see it was that? like bro it was it was just it was rubbish right. and um you know so he vibed with me and later on down the road when I he always said hey bro you need help with capital like hit me up and a lot of people like when they say that yeah especially when you african-american yeah. and a black man say yeah. you know i, I was hesitant yeah. bro i ain't gonna lie i was like this dude talk bro i was like Ugh. i don't know what this guy talking yeah. about but i took a leap of faith you know i said okay i'm gonna hit this man up so i told him when i need to raise capital to start construction I'm like bro here's where i'm at i need to raise more capital he said okay done I'm gonna introduce you this, this, this. Make a couple of phone calls. Yeah. This man made a couple of phone calls for me. Yeah. And um, and and one thing I'll add to this story: your reputation precedes you. Mm. So this whole time, when I was lobbying in the community, it's called AFO. The top attorney for this big multi-state billionaire was always there too. Okay. So they saw me. They used to shake my hand. They were impressed by me. Just like. You're 24 right. at the time. 20. What? You doing this? Right. And we paying all these people this? Yeah. So they were always impressed by my hustle. And uh, so their attorney was speaking highly about me to this multi-billionaire dude. Then the city official was speaking highly about me. So your reputation precedes you. So you never know who's seen. Like, that's why I'm kind to everybody. Right. I don't know who you know. <laughs> I don't know how you can help me down the road. Exactly. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to treat you like go right. Because I don't know when our path is ever going to cross. And I might need your help. Right. You get what I'm saying? I never get ahead of myself thinking I'm better than anybody because I'm not. Right. I'm still human. I'm still working. Relationship is everything. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? So I sat there. Um, the guy, the CEO was like, hey, I'm going to be in Boston um, in two weeks. Can you make it out? I said, absolutely. I, I remember I had a deck and uh, I worked on this deck, actually. I never really did the deck, <laughs> like, but this one, I worked on it. But And this is the beauty of not knowing your strength and your weakness. I got help. I, I needed help because I've never really, it was not my strength. Right. You get, And I knew it, but I knew communication. I could sell, bro. Right. You give me something and I'll study it, bro. <laughs> I'll study it and yeah. I understand it. Yeah. I'm a seller. For sure. So I had somebody help me with the deck. Got hunger. She clutched. Yeah. Sent it out. Started studying. I knew the numbers, though. I knew the numbers. I knew the state projections. I read the laws. I already understood it. Yeah. I just needed somebody to help me put it all on paper. Make, make it visual. look good. Yeah, make make the visuals look good. look good. And um, 
when I was at my meeting, I started talking and I told him how his market projections were wrong. Yeah. I started educating him on my thought process on what the market was. And he was impressed. Right. He's he like, bro, you, like he was like, wow, you putting data behind it and you have like a track record. Right. And um, he looked at me, he's like, I'm gonna give you a million dollars per store you open. I looked at this dude, he a white dude, bro. He, he looked, look, he had my dick. He just looked at it like for like three minutes. He didn't even look at my shit, bro. Not this, look. He bought into you. He just bought into me, yeah. bro. He just bought to me and he just like, he just like, yeah. He's like, he said, I, I believe in you. Mm. A million per store. And that was for what, three, four stores? It was, it was for three stores because you're capping licenses, right? Mm-hmm. So, so hold and behold, but, but this is what happens, right? When we got into the contract phase, a lot of the things we said verbally did not align up contractually. Mm. So, but you can't, I go back, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you cannot take things personal. Right. People are always going to look out for their best interest, yeah. especially when you start dealing with big boys. But you got to understand how to stand your ground right. and you have to be able to know what you're willing to give and what you're willing to not give up. Right. Right. So for me, they wanted to buy my properties and then lease my properties out to me. Yeah. Right. I said no. Right. Now I could have lost that money. I the deal I could have lost okay. it. Saying no, because that, that was a whole deal. I was scared. Yeah. Saying no, bro. It was like I was throwing away everything I worked so hard for. Yeah. But I knew that I I needed to own the real estate. I needed that power. Exactly. You get what I'm saying? Because once you own the land, you own the it's commercial street fronts. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I was like, nah, bro. You can't do that. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Right? And you know, I kept going and and trying to find win-win situation really helped me out. Okay. Um, and just like showing them numbers. Like, I'm a data-driven person, so showing them the bigger pictures, like, hey, you can still win, even so if you offer them a solution. Like, okay, look, I can't offer you the property, but here's how much you can make if we do this. Exactly. Okay. So I did a deal where I sold 60% of my shelf space to them okay. to get a million dollars, 60% over three years. So I would have to buy their product at a fair market evaluation. For three years, I get a million dollars at an 8% interest rate. So to turn it up, you know, an average story makes about about 500,000 to a mil a month in Massachusetts, right? So in my head, it was like, yeah, for sure. I'll do that all day. Like, <laughs> when you say 60% of your show space, kind of explain it, kind of break that down for us. Yeah, so it's like basically 60% shelf space. I understood the, the state had a cap on corporations and how many licenses they can obtain. So a corporation can only have three licenses. Any license after that, a corporation can only have 9.9% equity state. Okay. Understanding the rules and regulation and how strict the state is with ownership, a big corporation, especially a publicly traded company, their biggest goal is to be profitable for their shareholders. Right. So by understanding that, they need places to put their products, okay. right? So I'm selling you the value and saying, look, you have a guaranteed place to sell your product. 
to put your product in. Wait, what, what are they? What were they selling or are selling? They sell everything. Okay. They, they flower, concentrates, edibles, uh, whatever you. Think. So they were already in the cannabis industry. They were already in the cannabis. Oh, crushing okay. it. They're multi-state operators. They're gotcha. already crushing it in different states. And okay, yeah. it makes sense now. Okay. Yeah. So let me ask you this: We're in Texas, so people want to know how come you haven't went to Oklahoma, or is that in the plan, or what do you think about Oklahoma? So. Oklahoma has no cap on licenses. So at any point, anybody can open up a store in Oklahoma. Okay. So for me, I'm looking, I'm focused on more profitable markets. So Oklahoma is definitely like a, a market where we could expand to to help us with our brand, but it's not going to make us money like East Coast to Oklahoma because Oklahoma is oversaturated. In the East Coast, like, you know, what one of my store would do. Uh, five dispensaries in Oklahoma would have to do that. Uh, you get okay. what I'm saying? So it just, it wouldn't, it financially to, to put resources into Oklahoma. I want to be in Oklahoma because my friends and family are out here. And, and I want to, yeah, and I want to provide a job for people that I love and I right. care about. So that's something that we're going to do. But right now I have two stores in Massachusetts. Um, one of my most profitable, my most profitable store is not even open yet. It's on the border of New York. So that's what I'm focused on. Right gotcha. Now. Makes sense. Okay. So right now you're just on like the dispensary retail side, right? Exactly. How can, how can somebody enter the growth side? Um, you know, it's the same process. It's yeah, like, you got to find out what you're passionate about. A lot of people try to do everything, you know, be a retailer, grower, but you're, you're, you're not putting all your energy. Like right. imagine how creative, uh, great we are and how creative we are. And we have five different things we're putting our strength and our energy behind. Imagine you take all that away and you focus on one thing. Bro, you know how scary that is? You know what I did? I eat sleep cannabis. Like every day I used to wake up, I read about six different articles on the cannabis industry. I read the laws in different states. I would go out, I would drive, and I would look for property that are properly zoned to open up a cannabis business. Right. It's like, you can't, you, and a lot of people come to me and be like, hey, look, Sharon, like, you know, get into this side of the business, get into this side of the business, you know? And one of my philosophy is, is like, you know, focus on what you're great at. Right. You know, before you start pivoting, make as much money. It's like you have to have this is how I look at it. Money is money, right? You have to have a cash cow. Right. So what I mean by that is have something that will make you the shit ton of money you need. For sure. After doing that, then diversify your portfolio. Yeah. Like for me, you gotta have that one thing first. You gotta have that <laughs> one thing. Yeah. Like you gonna like focus whatever that looks like. Right. Focus on that. It doesn't. You don't have to fucking love it. <laughs> as long as it makes you money. Yeah. Once you it makes you money, then pivot to what the fuck you love. Yeah. But you can't enjoy what you love. And live a comfortable life right. if you're broke. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm like I love, I love everything. Everybody be like, oh man, you know, it's not all about money. No, it's not all about money. But right. fuck, God knows I need money to live in this United States. You have to. Like if I if I want to go out and eat, I want to be able to go eat. If I want to wear some shoes, right. whatever shoes I want to buy, I want to be able to buy it. Right. It's not that I'm trying to live for materialistic things. I'm not. I'm just trying to live for freedom yeah exactly the freedom to do what you want if you exactly. want to go do that you have the opportunity to do that exactly. and you can afford to exactly that makes sense so from your perspective um 
because you're heavy in the industry, what do you think is the easiest entry to barrier point? Um, is it entry point? Do you think it's the growth side or it's the retail side? Which one is easier to enter? I think a lot of people underestimate ancillary businesses. That's the, that's the side so product. So it's, it's a side product. It's, it's like ancillary businesses. Like if you are a videographer, for example, you focus your niche in the cannabis industry production. There's not not a lot of people are doing that, right? Okay. If you are a CPA, uh, because cannabis is still federally legal, you have this thing called 280E taxation. They tax you as a cocaine dealer. If you're wow. if you're good at understanding that there's some people that pay $10,000 a month just for a CPA. To make sure. You get what I'm saying? Just right. to make sure their books are good. Like, you know, whatever you do in any industry, you jump into the cannabis industry, you make more. Mm-hmm. It's like if, if you are a carpenter, if you're a, a, a structure engineer, like an art architect, we need everything in the cannabis industry. Like, for example, I need a security in my building just for one of my store, I pay $40,000 just for security, bro. $40,000, bro, for security. Motion sensor. I got a panic button. I got recording for 90 days. I can see everything my store is doing on my phone. I can unlock and lock doors on my phone. You know, like, it's like, it's so high. It's like working at a bank because... It's so highly, um, you know, secure, man. It's, it, yeah, they do not play. That's amazing, bro. Um, and just kind of tied off things. So what do you think are some of, like, the most pronounced or profound brands in the camp industry right now that people kind of – people see cookies and already acute that to – I, I said Cookies is doing a great job, you know, Brandon. to be honest. Brandon, like, they doing great. You know, I'm 27 right now, and I would say, you know, for us, you know, Cookie is is continuing the trend of, you know, that gangster lifestyle, you know, kind of kind of trends, you know, right. you feel me? And I'm, I'm trying to change the narrative of how a black man is and how we're perceived you know even if you live that street life anybody that looks at my page or they can relate you know what i mean because a lot of times it's like even the street people that that grew up in hardship and grew up in a in poor environment they still got people they love right. they still got mamas and cousins that means the world to them right. so universally when you say, when I say love or treat everyone like gold, yeah. everybody can understand that. I just want to speak a language that everybody can understand, and I want to change the image right. of how our black kings are looked at. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a, yeah, man. I'm just trying to create a more positive, you know, more positive brand, yeah. bro. Like real talk. Nah, and you've done that, bro. Yeah, you, it's, it's amazing. Like I enjoy talking to you, bro. When I first met you, yeah, and I started looking you up, bro. I, was, I got down a pigeonhole. I'm looking yeah. at these Afro articles you know yeah. i see you post that that new one uh i read that thoroughly i'm like man uh i love learning you know new things and i love learning stories and your story and everything you went through bro because if somebody that's watching that's probably researched the cannabis industry i'm like bro there's no way i can answer yeah and after watching this they am like man if my man's did it I yo do it. yo i had so many black people in boston like i just helped them like just by talking with my real estate agent in Boston, bro, black dude, he saw me, his name is Jeff. He said, if you can do it, I can do this shit too. <laughs> yeah. He looked at it. Hey, yo, this man just about to open a store in Boston where they're giving out 80 licenses called Low Key Dispensary, bro. Wow. He's like, bro, you motivated me. Yeah. 
I, I got so many black people, you know, shout out to all the black kings and queens that, you know, my story is touching. You know, it doesn't, you know, all I want to see is us create generational wealth. Like, I'm tired of this poverty mindset. I'm tired of everyone. Like, you know, we've been through so much trauma. We're normalizing trauma to be cool. Not facts, you're right. Like, we making that shit cool, but it's not. It's like, bro. Like this trauma shit, like let's face our demons. Let's face like, let's get uncomfortable real quick right. and understand why we feel this way. All these white people making bread, all right, cool. Not all of us can be rappers, bro. Yeah. And half of the rappers, like shit, the shit they talking about, they don't do it no more because they outgrew it. Yeah. They making so much money. Why? It's about the growth. It's, it's, about, it's, a, it's about the growth, but they still sell us that that because that's their past. Right. And y'all not understanding that, yeah, they did all that, but they, they trying to do better. They they owning real estate. Right. They buying new cars. New business. They, they, they starting business. You see Rick Ross partnering with Wing, uh, what's it called? Wingstop Wing or something. Yeah, that man doing crazy things. <laughs> and I'm proud of everybody that's out there doing that. But we all have to say, yeah, they winning. How do we go and create our own lane to also achieve that yeah. and not live vicariously through them and, and and spend like them, but we don't really have like them. Right. Nah, but we trying to keep up with the Jones. Yeah. For what? Nah, that makes sense, bro. Uh, love your story, man. Last but not least, I want to, you gave us so many gems, but I wanna, the last thing I want you to leave with is kind of tell us who you co-sign in the cannabis industry. It doesn't have to be another retail store. It could be anybody in the industry, but somebody you co-sign and support and you think people um, need to watch too. And, you know, Yo, I, I had to, like, my heart go out to uh, Just Incredibles. Okay. Uh, Black-owned cultivation, the first and only Black-owned cultivation facility in the state of Massachusetts. Just Incredibles. Eight million population. Yeah. This black dude, this man crazy, man. Like black dude, hardworking dude, smart, man. It's look, yo, this man lived in a trailer for a whole year, built out his whole cultivation. Black man, smart, bro. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> one of the look, y'all, I don't guess nobody really, but this man one of the smartest men I've ever met in my life. And just to have the grit, my man went out, raised capital. Yeah. Had the grit to do whatever it took to really open his uh, business. So I, I look at that and 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 I cheer him on and I say kudos uh, because to not have help from the state, nobody helping you, yeah. but just your your inner God in yourself, yo. You're, you're, you're blessed. So shout out to Just Incredibles. They're doing amazing. There's a lot of other black, uh, there's not a lot of us. There's right. less than like 4% African-Americans in here. So, you know, Magic Isle Cannabis, they're doing great. Uh, Hope Wiseman, she's the youngest African-American woman to really do things in the cannabis industry. You have Wanda, she's the first woman. She's our godmother, bro. She's the first person ever, woman, in the cannabis industry in Colorado, it's called Simply Pure. 
She she laid the, the necessary sacrifice on Black History Month. She laid the necessary sacrifice, did the necessary work, political connections mm. to show that black people can get into this industry. So without her, there wouldn't be people like me and everybody else I just mentioned. So I just wanted to you know, pay respect to her and everything. So absolutely. So kudos to her. And that's what's up, bro. And on that note, man, we going in this interview, this conversation, bro. I appreciate your time, bro. Uh -huh. We champion and co-sign you and everything you're doing, bro. And can't wait to see you keep growing and watch your continued growth, bro. 100, bro. It's all love, man. Hey, all love. Thanks for tuning in to Cosign Conversations. Hey, guys, what's good? Thanks for supporting Cosign Magazine by watching this video. If you really enjoyed this content, please subscribe, like, comment, and share. Yeah.